Hey, this is Raj Stewart, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams Podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams Podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Dream Chasers, this is Amy J, and you are listening to Chasing Dreams, episode number 87. Let that sink in for a moment, because I don't think I let you do that last time. Sink in for a moment. 87 episodes. Crazy, right? Uh, totally. So, of course, with all things, I try to bring my friends on as often as I can. And this guy is a lifesaver. He was a lifesaver for me in college. He still is. And he has come onto the show to share his knowledge and life stories and, you know, all the things he's doing. Raj Stewart. Raj is an academic researcher turned healthcare consultant who is passionate about bringing an evidence-based patient-centered perspective to practical healthcare issues. He works on projects ranging from designing and evaluating clinical trials to support regulatory approval to providing strategic coaching and training to companies interacting with government agencies and private medical insurers. Pretty much something you probably don't think of when you're five. When not reading scientific literature and policy documents, his downtime is filled with travel, DJ gigs, and record collecting soccer. He's been an Arsenal fan for over 25 years and spending time with his wife and kids. And I'm going to throw in that he's been friends with me for over 15 years. Raj, welcome to the show. How are you? I am doing well. I am so honored to be a guest on this show, and congratulations, Amy, on 87 episodes. I'm glad, as an 80s baby, to be nestled into this little quadrant of, of your podcast. And I have to say, I have known her for well over 15 years, and in addition to being an excellent interviewer and dream chaser, she is an amazing spades player as well. So I don't know how germane that will be for the rest <laughs> of the discussion, but I always know that, that she's great with cards and, and great with other aspects of life too. Yeah. You know, uh, Raj is uh, known around the Baltimore area, especially around UMBC in the nineties. Oh, what was it? Late nineties, probably about 97 to 2000. Three? Something like that for you? Give or take. Yeah, something like that. Um, for his spades ability. Uh, it's very good. Um, and we played every now and then. And, I, you know, I learned it in high school. I think I honed it in college. It's a lot of fun. But you can play actually more than just spades. You, can, you, you have a wide variety of card games on, in your belt, don't you? I did. I, I played just about anything that someone could either teach me or I could teach myself. And, and this is probably starting to date us, but this was, you know, right after the turn of, of dial-up internet when folks were still cherishing AOL CDs and 
one of the big reasons to go to college was the fact that we had a T1 line. Oh, but, yeah, uh, that was a huge yeah, draw. A lot of cards. <laughs> it was a huge draw. I played a lot of card games, some of which I, I still play to this day, but they're a great way to break the ice. And for folks like me who are still honing their interpersonal networking and relationship skills, it was one of those good passive ways to, to get reps in, as it were. And this is a fun way to pass the time. I mean, it's interesting. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dwell on college years just for a moment, guys, because some people feel, you know, you're out of high school. There's usually two trains of thought. One, you have to go to college and one where, you know, I don't need college. I'd be fine without. Um, was there a reason you went to college, Raj? Were you one of those two thoughts? A few reasons. One was that my parents always stressed the value of education. And coming out of high school, I had a lot of mentors and teachers who were encouraging it as kind of the next step in the evolution of your development as a young adult. And it just seemed to be an opportunity to grow as a person. Even though I didn't go to college too far away from where I grew up in Baltimore City, it was still an opportunity to expand my horizons and interact with people that I wouldn't otherwise be exposed to in West Baltimore. And I, I roomed with students from all over the country and, and internationally, went to classes with people from all walks of life, and it was just a great opportunity. I mean, that being said, I think as you grow and develop as a person and you meet other people with different and shared life experiences, you realize that college is just one of many paths. But the value in it for certain people is that it does expose you to certain things. It teaches you how to think in a potentially effective way for a lot of downstream careers. And it just can be an avenue to things that you wouldn't otherwise be exposed to. So I think that college is not necessarily the end-all and be-all for everyone, but there's so much value in it beyond you know, the, the TV cliched opportunities that you see. Although there is something to be said for being able to party with like-minded peers late at night and not having a curfew. So I, I think that there's, there's value added in either direction you take, just as long as you understand that it should just be part of a continuing growth process. Yeah, I think that's actually not just a great point. That last part that you said about it being a continuing growing process, I mean... I think every, I think I learned things in college. I didn't expect to learn in college. You know, um, typically you, you have the sciences, the maths and, and the stuff that's on your schedule. Right. But I think the experience of living on campus brought a whole new avenue of education, uh, people interaction, social skills, and just surviving personally. But, um, did you already have those skills, Roger, or was that something you also kind of picked up in college or honed maybe in college? I will say if I had them, they definitely were enhanced by college. And if I didn't have them, that's where I first started to anchor to them. The college for many people is that first opportunity to really spread your wings while still having a safety net. I mean, it, for many of us, it's that first opportunity to see the cause and effect relationship of quote unquote adult decisions and still have the understanding that there's somebody there to make sure you don't go too far afield. While that, that system isn't perfect for everyone, 
I think that for people like myself and others, there's a lot of value to be had in college because it gives you the opportunity to safely make mistakes. And I think that that's a really big part of not only chasing dreams, but just finding who you are and where you fit in in life is understanding where you don't fit in and the things that aren't right for you. And college in that essence, and I hate to use that that kind of cliche term, but it is a safe space and it is what you make of it in terms of the opportunities and the the potential that it gives you and affords you. And in, in many ways, it's, it's like its own little best lab experiment. You can watch what other people who are similar to you go through. You can go through things with other people, see how those interactions are shaped and grown by the choices that you make. And then you can use that when you get out into the quote-unquote real world and hopefully begin to either make, if not right decisions, at least informed ones. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing. For us, you and I both have had the perspective and point of view from college, having been there. But I know people who either started college, may have left early, or didn't do college, and have made their way through life figuring it out as well. And it may not have been as safe of an environment as college was for us, because I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, surrounded by friends, a support system in the school, and just even my family not being too far. I, I wasn't too worried about things in college. You know, I had four or five years that kind of I could make the most of and knew that I had a roof over my head, food that I could get, and I could just try to make the most of that time. Um, but I know there are others who are trying a different route, trip, different avenue in the real world, that kind of jumping in from, I guess, 18 or so, whenever you get out. Yeah, I know you are young in Raj. So, you know, those who start early also, who leave high school, you know, kind of jump into the real world early. That's not, that's not a bad way either. It's, it might not be as, be as comfortable, possibly, but, you know, they come out sometimes even better. I mean, do you know some folks who went who opted for the non-college route that may have, you've seen them evolve or grow and kind of compare it to your own experience? Absolutely. In my family and in my network of friends and colleagues, I know folks who have taken the so-called non-traditional route, be it not going to college at all and jumping into the workforce, assuming a position in a family business, going to college later on. And I think that the connecting thread between all the folks, no matter what their life experience, who find themselves in a happy place now that we're mature or maturing adults, is that whatever the trajectory you take, you find yourself making sure that you extract from your experiences actionable lessons that can inform the way you approach things. There's nothing wrong with making a wrong decision if it teaches you something about yourself or the choices you should have made or ways to interact with others or the best approach you take next time you have that opportunity to make that decision. And I think that there's a lot to be said for making sure that you don't turn your life into a monoculture. It's very easy, especially for folks who have gone to college or gone in specific career paths. And I think this is one of the, the main cultural divides in our society today is that 
you tend to either look down on people who didn't follow the same path as you, or you're not as open to understanding those different experiences and the commonalities that may be found between them. I mean, I, I cherish a lot of relationships with folks who have very little in common with me. They didn't necessarily go to school. They don't speak the same first language. They were raised in different cities. But I think the shared elements that we have, our passions, our drives, our interests, our families, the way we treat others are all valuable. And they're the way that we extract value from our relationships. It's the way that we grow as people. So I think, if nothing else, college and the things afterwards taught me that there's no right way to do anything but that there's always value in opportunity. There's value in choice, which was the biggest thing that college gave me that, you know, high school and other opportunities before that didn't necessarily provide. Choice and opportunity is probably the biggest thing that you can get out of college. The ability to change your major, change your quote-unquote future career, all those things can lead to you understanding yourself a little bit better. Yeah, you know what? I think one of the things... uh the biggest things that college did for me was expand my notion of the world, right? Up until college, it had been elementary school, middle school, high school. That's all I knew. Once you get to college or even just the real world, right? Looking at both avenues that you have in front of you, the world just kind of opens up or explodes in my mind. And, you know, that's when you realize how diverse the world truly is, even if you may not see it in certain settings. Um, and even just how much more is available out there to you? What were you One saying? One thing that, that every successful person gains from life is this idea that they are not the only important thing in the world. You are always uniquely important to someone else, but you are not the only thing in the world. And I think that however you come to that conclusion because it shapes the way you feel about making an impact and leaving a legacy, how you treat others, how if you happen to be a parent, a guardian, a mentor, you hope to shape someone else's perspective. Just the idea that you're part of a larger interconnected whole is a guiding principle for a lot of people. Uh, some of my you know, most respected friends and colleagues who are humanitarians or entrepreneurs, teachers, and professionals, parents, scholars, pastors, ministers, whatever. They just have an understanding that underlies a lot of their actions that I'm not just doing this for me. So even when it comes to the idea of pursuing their own goals, even if they're intrinsically somewhat selfish or self-serving, there's always an element that they're doing it for someone else. It might be your kids, it might be your spouse, it might be your community, but just that idea that everything doesn't stop with you, and that's something that you gain from life. You know, some people are fortunate enough to have it instilled in them from a very early age through parents or relatives or mentors. Some people find it along the way through missteps or life in general, but I think that just having that in mind is, is a great frame of reference. Yeah, that's a hard one to remember. And I think something that a lot of people might need reminders of, not naming names, you know, in the world, just people you see, figures, just a reminder, we're not the only ones, whether it be individually or, you know, group of people, you're not the only group, so to speak, but 
that's an interesting perspective because when you start expanding your world to realize that there are others that are affected by the actions you take, you would hope that you take a second look at the actions you're about to take. But I'm not sure that's always the case, you know? Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm as guilty of it as the next person. I, I'm not a perfectly altruistic being, and I think few people are. I think that's why we have terms like sainthood and, you know, hero, to define those people who are a little bit better at it than the rest of us. But I think that it has shaped and informed a lot of the things that I incorporate into my life now, and it's helped guide some of my decisions, whether I was explicitly aware of it or not in terms of leading me to my current career and the way that I hope to live my life. And let's actually talk a moment about your current career, or at least what led up to your current career. You were in college. You, my friend, were the first person I knew who did a double major. Isn't that correct? Yeah, I double majored in biochemistry and philosophy. And, you know, that's because you're such a philosophical philosophical guy everyone that was just up the that just fit you naturally but you also after that went to grad school and what did you pursue there i did my phd in neuroscience with a focus on cognitive aging and audiometry and after that you did a postdoc Yeah, I kind of stumbled into a postdoc, partly because I wanted to know a little bit more, partly because I happened to graduate at the peak or the trial, depending on how you look at it, academic hiring. And a postdoc was a great opportunity to expand my skill set, maintain a little bit of a safety net, while also getting some new experiences. So I I was fortunate enough to return close to my home and do a postdoc at Johns Hopkins, followed by one at Vanderbilt. And so when you're doing these postdocs, a lot of people say, and I think I remember you saying it as well, it kind of helps you try to figure out what it is you want to do in the long term. Did you find that to be the case with your postdoc? Definitely. And like some other things that I've seen in life, it also helps to inform you what you don't like to do. And I think one of the things about any detailed career that's very entrenched in society is that a lot of people on the outside only see one perspective of it. And whether or not you you choose to see the positives or the negatives is dependent on how you view it. But for me personally, it was a very, very, you know, blinders off view of what academia was really like. I think after going through undergrad and grad school, I thought, okay, the next step is I'm done. I'm pretty good at my very, very narrow field of neuroscience, and somebody's going to be as excited about that as I am, and they're going to say, here's a pile of money and a job title, and you know, you're just going to go happily ever after running a lab, and life will be just as peachy keen as it can be. But one of the things I didn't realize is that there's all sorts of nuances to being a faculty member and an academic researcher that I didn't actually enjoy. The red tape, the committee meetings, the running a journal club, the rules about mentoring, what you can and can't do, and the number of people that you can work with, and the perpetual cycle of grant writing and wondering how you divide your time between the lab and your house mm-hmm. and the committees. 
So I think that it was super informative kind of in the inverse for letting me know that I really didn't want to be a permanent academic as the only thing that I did in my life. Yeah. And that's, see, that's the interesting thing is that it provided you that perspective that you did not have previously. Right. And I think, um, with experiences and some people, you know, do you know the statistic by any chance? I know previously it was, a. Uh, it was definitely over 50. I, I wanted to say it was like 80% or something like that, that people who graduate from college, undergrad, that is 80 some percent do not use their degree directly. Do you know what that percentage was? I think that that number might be spot on. It, it might even be a little low if you look at a very, very discreet definition of your degree. I mean, in my case, you could argue that I use both degrees equally or both degrees not at all. And I think that that's the case for a lot of people unless you try and you know, parse the language on it. And, and that goes back to the idea of is college really necessarily about developing people for careers or helping frame their worldview? And I think it's more of the latter than the former because as society continues to change and oftentimes it's more rapidly advancing than very confined and, and strict formulations like college and university, you're always going to be a little bit behind the curve. I mean, just as a simple example, I have friends who are computer scientists who graduated with me at the turn of the millennium or the turn of the century and now we've got fields in computer science that did not exist when they were in college. They were the best in their field at what they did. But if you actually ask them to utilize the things that they supposedly learned that were the cutting edge of computer science and social engagement and things of that nature in 2001, 2002, no one could have foreseen that, you know, their equally high-paying and rewarding jobs in social media engineering and platforms and softwares that did not exist when we were supposedly at the leading edge of technology. So I think it ends up being a situation that just like any life experience, you may not use it directly, but the tangential benefits of the experience are the more valuable piece. I think that's true. I mean, the way the world and technology and life and uh, experiences are changing, it just happens so fast fast uh for people that uh, you know and i've always thought that be that was an interesting debate as to what college does for you and what uh, you end up with because i mean granted I, i'm technically a lawyer currently but my background was computer science and i still use it just not directly you know but i've never regretted that experience and i don't think a lot of people end up regretting the experience they had because of what you were saying earlier what else did you get from college and and how did that shape you? And I think that ends up affecting you in a number of ways. But it, what intrigues me mostly is when people are trying to figure it out, right? For you and your postdoc or people who are trying to spread their wings or figure out life, you know, the thing that I find in common with making these decisions, and maybe you think the same thing or, or you don't, is the experiences they take, right? Each one either either helps them or it's not a waste of time, but it tells them what doesn't work, right? I mean, from your experience, having done that and even having, you know, 
gone through different opportunities and experiences and other people you know, would you say that for people trying to figure out their dreams, experiencing different opportunities and uh, options is key? Absolutely. And I think it goes back to like a really fundamental piece of how you look at life. I think that you have to look at the way you live your life and the experiences that you have as a series of rule-in and rule-out opportunities. Unless you happen to be part of that small segment of people who have the perfectly linear trajectory in life, sometimes it might be decided for you by family and friends at an early age. Sometimes you are just single-minded in your focus, and there is a straightforward path to that end goal that allows you to entertain that very, very you know, concerted option in life. But for the rest of us, experiences, no matter what they are, really boil down to rule in, rule out. Rule in, this is a piece of information for me, something that I'm interested in, want to do, or want to pursue, or aid me in an overall goal. It doesn't necessarily have to be the end-all, be-all. You know, you may end up becoming a travel writer, and something as simple as finding out that you are totally disenchanted with the way the bus system in your city runs and you wish there was something better out there could lead you to that experience. That's a, that's a rule in rule out opportunity. You find something that does not fit your career goals, does not fit your life expectations and allows you to make a really defined choice about what you want to experience next or how you approach your next experience. And so for me, a lot of the steps, aren't necessarily what I would call circuitous, but I, I, I choose to look at them more as very productive stops and starts. You know, if you say you're running in a circle, that, that necessarily means that you don't have a beginning and an end because that's, you know, the, the philosophical geometric definition of a circle. It's just an infinite loop. Whereas if you're moving in stops and starts, you are approaching some sort of direction but you have choices to make. Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I continue to push on? Do I reevaluate? And if you look at a lot of your opportunities like that, whether you are that, that type of really discreet soul who is able to make those decisions within the moment and aggregate that information, or if you're a little more retrospective like me and have to come back after the decision is made and look at the post-mortem outcomes and what could I have learned, what could I have done better. Regardless of how you approach it, the value is that either it helps define what you want to do or it lets you know what you don't want to do or how you don't want to approach something. But as long as you're extracting information and value out of your experiences, then there's really no wrong way to, to chase your dreams and, and chase your goals. Well, what would you say to someone who's, who feels that they're stuck in a dead-end alley? Where do you go from there? You're absolutely in a good place if you're in a dead end, if you recognize it. And, and that's, that's the big thing. I, you know, there have been times in my life, and I know other people may have encountered the same thing, that you're in a dead end and don't realize it. That's the most dangerous place to be because you can either get comfortable or complacent, but either way you're not growing because you don't realize that you're stagnant. If you realize you're stagnant and you are dissatisfied with being stagnant, then that's a great first step because you've got options and you've already got a predetermined rule out piece for yourself. You know, you don't want to be doing what you're doing now. 
So that allows you to evaluate your next opportunities and situations against that. Is it like what you're doing now? Is it going to help you get out of that situation? You can rule it out. Is it going to benefit you? Is it going to grow you as a person? Does it give you more opportunities or lead you to where you want to be? You rule it in. But I personally, from my life experiences and from talking to others, feel that a dead end isn't a bad thing unless you are not aware that it is a dead end. It's still a place. And, and every time you're at a place, you can make choices. You can evaluate your situation. You can look and reflect and, and seek out new directions. It's just when you don't realize you're there that you have problems. Are there any signs for someone to realize that they're in a dead end that they're not seeing maybe? I mean, because the key that I took also from what you just said was when you're in a dead end and you realize it, well, then how, how do you realize it? I think the first thing is surrounding yourself with people who understand you and have your best interests at heart. Because while you're doing all these things to develop and grow yourself, you can become very insular if you're the only sounding boards you have. I mean, you are not necessarily your own best sounding board all the time. Sometimes you have to go with your gut. You have to know yourself. But it also helps to have somebody with some external perspective. And so that's one thing. You, you surround yourself with folks that you respect, whose opinions you are willing to take and integrate into your overall worldview. And that allows you to make some decisions about where you are and where you need to be. The second thing is really taking stock at regular intervals regarding where you are. You know, is it a yearly thing? Is it quarterly? Is it, you know, when your boss brings you in for your performance review? But just being honest, whether it's good or bad, whether you have all the information or not, but really taking the time to critically assess where you are, where you want to be, even if you're not entirely sure of what the end goal is, but really take stock of it. Is the job that I'm in or the career I'm in or the major that I'm in helping me figure out what I want to do? Is it something that's satisfying your personal passions and your core value system? You know, for some people, that moral check is something that tells them that they need to get out of a dead-end situation. You know, it might be a paycheck, but it might not be something that you feel comfortable and satisfied with talking about with your friends and family that you respect. It could be a situation where you're in a career and you're advancing well, but you're not passionate about it. Do you go home at night and you're excited in the morning to do it? There are people in a wide variety of jobs who are extremely happy and satisfied with it, but that doesn't mean that every career is right for them. I know many excellent lawyers. I don't think I would have made it out of law school. I might have been able to do the work but what I've been passionate about four years of tort reform and, and various obscure laws, I don't think so. You know, I was supremely excited to wake up every day and do cognitive neuroscience research. I know other people who would probably want to burn my textbook. Me? But, <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, but, yeah, on the, on the same regard, my only interactions on a day-to-day -day basis with computer scientists is respecting the fact that they keep the internet running, they develop the apps. I can't do what they do. I understand it. But for me, that's not something that stimulates my passion. So I know that that doesn't fit into my life goal set and the dreams that I have for myself. I've really 
love how you put that. I mean, the rule in, rule out, and just kind of being true to yourself and evaluating each thing. It's a very scientific approach, but, you know, given your, your background and my background and why I relate to it, I think it's, it's great. And I would actually recommend that to everyone, especially those who are not scientifically driven, because it, it's just a concept, you know, just to kind of audit or evaluate your life and how you are at that point in time. And I think that's something that we don't all do. And I actually wonder if some of us uh, do it too late. And that's why we have regret in a, in a lot of things. And um, Raj, have you seen that be the case for, for, for people? They wait too long? Oh, absolutely. And I've, I've fallen victim to it personally. There have been times where you're trying to balance or you think you're balancing, you know, the comforts and, you know, trying to rationalize stagnation as it were. Oh, I don't need to worry about what I'm doing right now because I might not be happy doing it or it might not be what I really want to do, but, you know, it's easy or no one's going to push me. I don't have to get out of my comfort zone. Everybody thinks I'm doing a good job. It seems like it lines up with what I'm good at, but there's a big difference between what you're good at and what you're passionate about. You know, the sweet spot is when those two overlap. But for many people, it's the difference between a skill and a strength. A skill is something you do. A strength is something that you can reinforce and that provides value to yourself and others. You, you learn skills. Strengths have an inherent piece that you have to figure out for yourself. And, you know, at various points in my life, I've been in positions in my career and in my life where I think it lines up with my skills. I'm good at it or, you know, it's, it's math, so it's easy or it's science, so it comes naturally. But does it stimulate your passions? Is it something that you're proud to do? Is it something that motivates you to be more, to grow more, to interact more? And those are those places where you can really hone in and say, okay, that's, that's what I need to be doing. And then you can make some very, you know, critical decisions about how you get there. But I think the key is, like many things, is, is understanding the problem first before you start working on a solution. Yeah, I think that's a, a very good point and probably one we should all consider, even if we think we're doing it, maybe think, are you truly doing it in a way? Because, I mean, you know, there's one thing to, to understand it and think you know it, but sometimes you take a moment to actually look at it. Are you doing it? You know, so, Raj, I, you're awesome. I love having you on here. But, you know, before I let you go, I have to ask, what is one thing you would ask or recommend a dream chaser do today? Read. Read and talk to other people about what you read. I, I think that it's one of the most underrated skills, not reading for the sake of an assignment, but just reading for the sake of knowledge and, and gaining something from other people's accumulated experiences. Because, you know, no matter how much society and technology changes, I think we'll always have the written word in some form or fashion is the way that we convey life experience. And, you know, for better or worse, somebody has experienced something similar or something valuable that can inform your life. And oftentimes it's out there for you to find or stumble upon it. 
So if nothing else, read as much as you can and then, you know, make it tangible for yourself. Talk to somebody else about it. It doesn't have to be an Oprah's book club, but, you know, just a, a simple sit down with, with a friend or a coworker. I was reading about this. You know, it could be a comic book. It can be the Wall Street Journal. It can be a book about your favorite topic. Or, you know, for me, it could be about your, your soccer team, which is struggling with existential crises. But read and discuss, and that's a way to grow. It's a way to build connections with other people. And it's a way to make sure that you're putting your own checks and balances on your dream. How have other people pursued their dreams? How can you pursue your own? What what avenues and opportunities are there for you? And the the nice thing about it that many people did not have access to, you know, decades and centuries ago is that most of it is free, that a lot of knowledge has been democratized for the better. It's out there for you to find, for you to take advantage of. And even if it's not your dream that's in the book that you're reading, it's it's still a rule and rule out and there's value in it. I can't say that any better. So, Raj, thank you again for coming on the show and wish you all the best and hope you can come back again. I would love to. And, and best of luck on, you know, 8,700 more episodes. You, my friend, are the best. <laughs> I just try not to be the worst. Dream Chasers, that was my good friend, Raj Stewart, who... You know, all through college, uh, we would have conversations and chats and talks with our with our friends, my sisters, my uh, friends in college. I did have them, funny enough. Um, and, you know, I always learned something. And here, you know, still learning. I mean, take his recommendation about, you know, evaluating everything, rule in, rule out, you know, kind of take that to heart and think about it. Okay. You guys can find more about Raj and his links over on the show notes page at chasingdreamshq.com slash episode 87. That's episode 87. Until next time, dream chasers, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at chasingdreamshq. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing.